0: Well, there's a lot of things happening um, in terms of life and, and uh, you know, the various activities that we have, and certainly we also have, um, that we are not often aware of, in a sense, a, a church calendar. So we've just celebrated Easter a, a little while back, and actually it was still a little over 40 days ago. And so do you know what that makes this Sunday? This Sunday is actually Ascension Sunday, it's the day that we celebrate the reality that Jesus ascended into heaven. And so in light of that, I just thought it would be good to pause for a moment and, and even read uh, just the account uh, from the book of Acts where we find that, that wonderful moment uh, where uh, it's described historically what happened and, uh, and what, what those who were there witnessed. And so um, here's what it says. It says... And this is the opening of the book of Acts. Uh, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. And to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the father had promised which he said you heard from me for john the, john baptized with water but ye will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now so when they had come together they were asking him saying lord is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to israel he said to them it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, men of Galilee. Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go up into heaven. And they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's journey away. Could you imagine being there in that moment? It, with, with Easter, we describe and celebrate the resurrected Jesus and yet what we have to realize is he is alive but he has also ascended into heaven and there are, are benefits that we enjoy as his people as a result of his ascension can you think of what some of those benefits are what they might be what would it be that that he's that we that we receive because of his ascension one would be this Do you realize he's our advocate before the Father right now? Does that not give you joy? Isn't it wondrous to think about that? The perfect advocate, the one who stands before the Father and represents us. Uh, as, As we walk through our days, as we pray before God, Jesus is saying, This one is mine. I've died in his or her place. In me, they are safe. Um, you know, we, we find ourselves uh, at times praying and we say we, we pray in Jesus' name. You know, we're resting in Christ as our advocate when we do that. We're saying we're coming to you, Father, because of what Jesus has done. We have free access. The, the, the veil is torn from top to bottom uh, in the temple and we have access into the very presence of God by the work of Jesus, our advocate. Second, we also um, have a sure pledge that if Jesus ascended and went into heaven, all who are in him when we're raised from the dead, guess what happens? We follow him and ascend into heaven. We have confidence in that because Jesus has showed us by going before us in that way. Um, when we think of the broken world that we live in again, we've already prayed about that early in the service. When we think of Uh, the things that surround us, does that not give your heart joy to look ahead to that moment? And then, lastly, and I think I heard someone mention this when I was asking the question before, another benefit is this. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, he said, hey, it's a good thing that I'm leaving. And of course, they're going, why would that be? Why is that the case? I am going to send the help for the, the comforter the Holy Spirit. And so every child of God, everyone who's received Jesus by faith, is indwelt by the Spirit of God. He's uh, considered our deposit in some ways. He's, he's the, the one that, um, again, shows us not only the truth of the Word of God, He's not only active as we read God's Word, as it's proclaimed, and as we hear it, and as we understand it, He's also convicting us of sin. He's also encouraging us. He's he's the one who brings comfort to our hearts. And so there's a lot about the ascension that we need to consider and rejoice in. And so I just want to say to everybody today, happy ascension day. And let's praise God for that and, and consider those things together even as this day progresses. As we continue on uh, now in our series in in 1 Corinthians, um, I I don't know if you know this, but in in our family, we, and this has everything to do with Janet, okay? Janet is just this way. When Janet receives a gift, she loves it, she appreciates it. She's not the person looking for the return receipt on the back. You know, she just takes it. And so, and that's kind of been the way we've conducted things with, with, with our kids as well. And yet periodically when the kids were younger, it was kind of challenging to hold to that principle because sometimes, let's face it, you get a gift that you just want to return, you know. And uh, sometimes you want to return it, and there's no way you can. Uh, there was a friend of our families, and they uh, they they had a massive doll collection. I don't know why they collected dolls, but they did. And I think out of kindness, one time they wanted to uh, to give one, and it might have been to Grace, our youngest. And uh, so, you know, the box is open, and we take this doll out. And I'm sorry, but this doll was terrifying. <laughs> it was just scary. You ever have that look? It's, it had that look in its eyes like it's like, <laughs> like. Like the painter messed up, you know? Like the painter was trying to make us a nice face, but it was more of a face that's like, I'm after you, <laughs> you know? And so the first thing I'm thinking is we are taking this doll and just like putting it in a dark closet always to be forgotten, okay? Like, let's never let this thing even see our kid again. And here's the thing, you want to return it, right? But it's a collectible, hello. Like, there's no box, there's no nothing. It's like, you're stuck with this thing, you know? And, And that can happen with gifts sometimes, but I think sometimes when we think of gifts that God gives us, there are times we want to return them maybe in the same way, especially when it comes to what has become known as the gift of singleness, for those who are, are single, there's a desire sometimes to go, wait, I don't want this gift. Lord, you can take this gift. You can have it. I have no desire for this. And, and the reality is, is Paul is going to deal with singleness in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 and following, in, in a way that, that is going to cause us to stop and go, hold on, what, what do we really see when we consider this issue? Um, and this is not something that only the first century had to deal with. Um, there's, there's uh, as we've mentioned before, in our culture today, the percentage of people who are single is, is growing constantly and is, is definitely outpacing the, that of married people. And, uh, and and by the way, I also want to caution those of you now who are thinking, oh, great, I can check out on the sermon now because it doesn't apply to me. Um, because the reality is, is, you know what, these passages given on singleness, apply to all of us uh, for several reasons. Um, You know, first of all, for those among us who are married, the reality is um, there will be a day most likely that you are single again. Um, Unless you are ushered into heaven at the same time as your spouse, you you will face that. We have many among us who are facing that right now. So they're single again. Sometimes there are people who are single again because of divorce. And, and, And that's challenging and hard. So there's no reason to assume just because you're married today that this issue will never touch your life. And it's important to listen. I th- another reason that this is important for all of us is we are a body. We are the body of Christ, which means if we're, we're told uh, in other places in Scripture that when one part of the body is affected, it affects everybody. Um, as a matter of fact, I mean, think about this. You know, have you ever stubbed your toe before? Remember that feeling? Remember that? initially you hit your toe, right? I know for me, for some reason, I always managed to find the sharpest corner or angle. I don't know why. My toe was just attracted to that. But you remember that, right, when that happened? And all of a sudden, maybe you recall, it wasn't just your toe that reacted, was it? No, no. Instead, most likely, there was a noise that came out of your mouth. A noise that you probably hadn't uttered in quite some time. Um... You know, I bet you your eyes probably started watering a little bit when that happened. And, and for some of us, maybe, you know, the, our other leg thought it would be helpful to start hopping around, maybe, in that moment, right? I mean, there's, the whole body reacts. And the same is true with this issue of, of singleness. The fact that it affects one part of, of the body of Christ means it affects all of us. And so we need to intently pay attention, listen, and grasp what the word of God says about this. Because when one part of the church struggles, the whole church is affected. And, and um, you know we are, we are thankfully, here at Clayton Valley Church especially, we have a multiple types of people in various phases of life. And this touches all of us. And so, uh, so we wanna hear what God's word has to say. So let's go ahead and, and go read the passage. Go ahead and, and stand, if you would, in honor of God's word. Uh, we want to make sure that we receive this from the Lord, and by standing, we're, we're acknowledging that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 25. Now, concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think, then, that it's good in view of the present distress That it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren the time has been shortened. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he might please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. This I say to your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would take these words and that you would transform us, that you would change us, that uh, you would cause us to see things from your perspective. Uh, We thank you that your plans are wiser than ours and better than ours and that your ways of calling us to navigate through this broken world are ways that bring life and health and grace and goodness and peace. Uh, we, We thank you for your wisdom. And we look to you now to guide us as we uh, sort through, look through, and uncover your provisions for, for those single amongst us and, and your provision for um, working your will and bringing joy and grace uh, in, our, in our lives. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, the risen King, the ascended one. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So as we look through the passage today, we're going to see four reasons singleness can be received as a gracious gift. And I say can be received as a gracious gift for a reason. One would be this. It can be received that way, or if we find ourselves in that place, we cannot receive it and and have a different attitude, Uh, one that is not... uh, Receiving what God's given us, one who has a different disposition, uh, more of, of uh, discontentedness as we discussed last week, um, I also say can be received in the sense that Paul here is giving options. He's saying it's not mandatory that someone uh, be single or be married. He's not saying there's a, there's a superiority to one over the other. And so you can receive it as a gracious gift um, if that would be God's leading for your life. So that's the reason it's put that way. And the first reason we would see is this. Singleness brings, as Paul puts it here, less trouble. Singleness brings less trouble. And, uh, He's describing this in verses 25 through 31. You notice he opens with now concerning. uh, This is an indicator that he is quoting uh, a letter that he had received from the Corinthians prior. If you'll recall back, if you turn back to uh, chapter 7, verse 1, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it's that same idea he's using at this point in the chapter. So certainly some had asked him questions about, hey, we have a person who's unmarried. Should they marry or should they stay single? What What are we supposed to do? And he says, I don't have a command of the Lord, but give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Uh, Paul's not saying there, look, I don't have anything really to give you from an apostolic authoritative level, so I'm just going to give you a kind of a shooting from the hip opinion. This is what I happen to think, personally, me, Paul. That's not what he's saying. When he says, I don't have a command of the Lord, uh, he's used this phrase also earlier in the chapter. What he's saying is, there's no direct teaching from the Lord Jesus on this. Um, certainly in other areas, we do have clearer teaching from Jesus. Here he's saying we don't have that. So now I am going to give you what I believe to be wise and good. And But you also notice he does give a lot of qualifiers through all this. And I think that's a beautiful thing to see is how Paul demonstrated his leadership at this time. A gracious way that someone follows the Lord in leading is by not dogmatically saying, and this is, you know, it's my way or the highway, this is it. Instead, he's saying, look, there's nuances to this, and there's ways in which you have to sort this through with wisdom. So here are the basic principles. And you'll find him qualifying things a few times through here. Um, And then he talks in verse 26 about, I think it's good in view of the present distress. And then he goes back to that theme of remaining. Now, what's the present distress? That's a really good question. Uh, Some would take that phrase to see it as Things that were happening specifically in this time. Nero was about to come into power, probably, so they would have had an idea trouble is on the way. We know what this guy's like, we know what his disposition is towards Christians, and certainly those concerns would prove to be absolutely true as he persecuted the church. In addition, we have other archaeological evidence that would show that in this time frame, uh, the region did suffer from a very severe famine. So, it's possible that he's referring to that. And he's saying, You guys know what it's like right now. It's hard to find food. Why, why are you trying to you know, get married and do all these things when we're under duress at this point in time? And that could be an element of it. In addition to that, we also would see that that phrase does have um, what we would call an eschatological or looking at the end times kind of idea behind it. The, the end of the age is upon them, the present distress. Um, the term tribulation actually comes from this kind of word, same root. So the idea is there's, this is a time of duress. This is a time of difficulty. And so what's happening is this trouble involving suffering, that's kind of part of that term as well, uh, would indicate that whatever state you're in, again, he's already stated this, by the way, last week we talked about it, remain where you are. You can serve God well where you are. You don't have to get into a different place. So single person, you do not need to be married to be fulfilled or to honor God or to be more spiritual. Remain. Continue. Fully serve Christ in whatever state you're in. And you can know that you're in his place. Why? Because it's part of his sovereign plan. Because he's calling you to glorify him in daily life and you don't have to be married in order to do that. But, but also, he has this idea of um, it's good to remain. It's good to remain. And in verse 28, if you get married, you haven't sinned. However, each will have, and there's the word, trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. There's a sense in which as someone enters into marriage, there's going to be more concerns about different elements of life, about different things. And he's saying, I don't want you to be in that place of trouble, especially in this present time of distress. And uh, there, there's, there's a way in which we kind of see this on, on, a, on a light level, maybe, on a day-to-day level, but also in, in, in more serious ways. So let's just take it practically from, from a, a day-to-day basis. You know, if you're a single person, your life does not have as much complexity as someone who's married. Um, you know, we can, we can see that from, from our vantage point. For example, you want to go to Dunkin' Donuts? Guess what? You just go to Dunkin' Donuts. You want to stay there till you know, whatever time they close, two, three in the morning, you just stay. You're not, gonna, you're not thinking about that. Now, now, if you're a married person, you're going to Dunkin' Donuts, guess what? If you're a husband, you better get home soon because your wife's waiting for you. And by the way, if there's kids there, you better bring a dozen with you. <laughs> and when you get home with that dozen, guess what? You're going to sort out who gets the chocolate, who gets the sprinkled, who gets what, who doesn't get what they wanted. You're going to deal with all that. That's just a part of, part of life. You know, if, if you're a single person and you want to just go somewhere and read that mystery novel, you know, you just do it. You're not thinking about that. You want to go out to eat. If you got the money for it, you go out to eat. You're just paying for one. You might want to pay for two. Okay, great. Bring a friend. You're paying for two. Uh, Let's face it, you know, for for Janet and myself, when when the three kiddos were at home, we were paying for five. Guess what that meant? I mean, we weren't going. And even when you did go in there and you paid for five, and we all sit down, then we get to deal with three others who are disappointed in what we chose to get at the time, right? And you're explaining that whole thing. So there's just a layer of difficulty a layer of, of more um, conflict, whatever it would be, trouble. And let's face it, on a more, on a more serious note, we've all seen marriages that have fallen apart and the pain that that caused. Um, we've seen people lose their, their spouse, perhaps in a, in a very, very surprising, untimely way. We've seen times when parents need to bury their own children We've seen times when moms and dads are grieving deeply because their kids have walked away from the Lord. The, these are, are particular pains, difficulties, and troubles that, that the single among us, they're spared those things. And, um, and, and, that, and that is something that, that we would see as a, a biblical truth. Um. And let's face it, a lot of times when, you're, when we're not in a place like that, we can easily romanticize what family life looks like. And, uh, and I'm not sure if you've experienced that before, but um, I can remember times as a single young man, I would uh, maybe show up at um, a friend's house. Uh, there were some people that were involved you know, in, in caring for others, and they just invite you over and you come by, and then sometimes you come in and you're like going, well, this is wonderful, you know, the kids are there and everything's nice. But there are other times you'd show up and it's like, oh, maybe this is a bad time to be here. You know, because something's going on. There's conflict. And at that point, sometimes you're kind of sitting there going, man, I wonder, how do I graciously, like, exit this situation? I need to leave. <laughs> it's time to go. And so Paul's saying there, there's troubles, there's difficulties associated with married life And that's not obviously all that Paul says about married life. Uh, But those things are a reality. And so Paul wants believers to know that that, um, there's a sense in which as God calls someone to singleness, there's a a level upon which it's a a gift in many ways. And one of those things is that there will be less trouble in those ways. And then Paul uh, utilizes kind of a neat set of statements in verses 29 through 31. Um, And he's referring back yet again to this idea that the the time has been shortened. So we're we're looking here at the end of the age in some ways. And and we find that in in, in 1 John as well, right? We know that these are the last days. We understand that. We're living in the time when Jesus is is going to return very soon. and We would see that as being any time he could come back. Uh, His return is something that we're anticipating and, but he says in light of that, in verse 29, he, he, he describes then um, several different ways in which he's saying, I want you to have an eternal perspective. I want you to see these current day-to-day things uh, as, as a single person in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, as a married person in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. And it should touch every area of life. And so here we find five kind of paradoxes that he lists out. And all five of them touch on a different element of life. The first one would be having an eternal perspective when it comes to our relationships. And so that's why he would say, uh, from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. He's not saying if you're married, it's better for you to live like a single person, just ignore your spouse. That's not what he's saying. Instead, what he's saying is don't live right now in such a way that you think everything is about family, wife, kids, sexual intimacy, Living for whatever happens in the home and making that the apex of your existence. Why? Because eternity is on the threshold. So yes, you have a spouse, but understand that cannot be all-consuming, and and, and realize that 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 as eternity comes into play, live before God in a way that honors Him in that context. Um, And then He goes on to have this other context. You know, those who weep as though they did not weep. So. What he's really talking about here is that eternity and the way we see it impacts the way we deal with death. And so we, we, we want to live in such a way where um, we're weeping or, or mourning, and yet we realize that life is what Christ has brought, and he's returning soon. And then the next one, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. So eternity impacts our understanding of happiness. Happiness. And so he, he's talking about how uh, happiness is not simply to be in the here and now and in the things of the world. No, instead it's to be looking ahead to eternity and, and realizing that Jesus is coming back. And certainly we enjoy the things here and now. They're gifts from God. It's not like we just say, okay, well, everything here now is to be ignored and who cares and we're just, you know, kind of mindset divorced from reality in terms of that we're in now. No, instead it's seeing where we are now in light of eternity and rejoicing in what God's doing in this moment. And then those who buy so they did not possess. Again, here we would see that eternity and our vantage point from eternity affects the way we see our possessions. And, and it's not, we don't possess things as if they're ours to keep. Instead, we're stewards that God's given us. Everything that we have, and we want to honor him with that. And then the last one, that last contrast, verse 31, those who use the world so they did not make full use of it. And so really that's the idea of, of seeing the world that we're in, the culture we're in, and understanding that we are not to be engrossed in the here and now and what this culture has to say or the cultural values of our time because we have eternity in view. And instead, we're walking in light of that. So eternity impacts our relationships, our view of death, our view of happiness, our view of possessions, and the way we interact with our culture. And so all that's kind of put in between verses 29 and 31 because this world is passing away. We can think of 1 John where where Paul, or where the Apostle John writes, don't love the world or the things of the world. Uh, For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them and and the world is passing away and all the things in the world. But those who do the will of God abide forever. It's that same concept. And so singleness and marriage is seen in, in that light. And we understand that, that God has a wise way of placing us in the place that he wants to, to put us. And, uh, and, and in, in this section, we would see that. That, yeah, as if you find yourself right now in that place of singleness, realize it can be received as a gift from God because it'll bring less trouble. Uh, secondly, Paul also says, not only does it bring less trouble, but singleness also brings more focus. And we find that in verses 32 through 35. Look what Paul says, he goes, I want you to be free from concern. How many times does the word concern come up in verses 32 through 35? There's one, two, three, four, these five times it comes up. Uh, why? Because he's describing this idea of concern, of, of, of being focused on something. And he's saying, I don't want you to be concerned about the things of the world. But rather, if you are single and if you are in that place by God's providence, you have now a freedom to be concerned not about those things, but about the things of the Lord. And he uses both sides of the equation here. Uh, You'll notice that he he talks about the husband in verse 33. The one who's married is concerned about the the world and how he can please his wife. And then on the flip side, verse 34, uh, the woman who is uh, married is concerned about the things of the world and how she can please her husband. But notice the beginning of verse 34, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord. So there's this Element of focus where, as a single person, you can focus on the things of God in ways that the married among us don't have the bandwidth or flexibility or ability to, to engage in right now. And that's, that's an incredible thing to think about. Um, you know, there's, there's a flexibility that you have and a focus that you have. And, uh, and I think it can, we can see it again, you know, in just sort of the day-to-day life of things. Think about, you know, uh, the married with small kids just trying to leave the house, okay? I remember uh, when our kiddos were younger, I would often say this, you know, whatever you're trying to do with little kids, just multiply it by five in terms of the time, each thing, and you'll be about right. And I'm talking about everything, as in like when they got to brush their teeth, it's like pick up the toothbrush, multiply that by five, Toothpaste, multiply that by five. Brush, multiply that by five. Rinse, multiply by five. I mean, it just takes, so, I mean, you think about that. You know, you're trying to get out the door. The child is ready. Wonderful. You got the coat on. You got the pants on. Okay. They're ready to go. Where's the other kid? Where are they? I don't know. Find him. Go look. Okay. Where are they at? Where are they at? Uh, Are they okay? I hope they're okay. Oh, we found them. Oh, they're dressed in their stormtrooper costume from last Halloween. Great, okay, get the other kid. Try to get, okay, change that out. Da, 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 you're doing that. And then the first kid has to use the restroom. Coat is off now. They're in the restroom. And here you are. And you haven't gone anywhere. The whole day has gone by. You have not yet walked out the door. And for those who are, again, in, in, in a single calling from God at this time, things are a lot more clear and focused. There aren't all those things going on. You know, there's an ability to turn on a dime even, if necessary. There's an agility to be able to care for other people. There's a capacity, I think, for friendship that, that the married among us do not have. And that's a part of the challenge, isn't it? Because the, the, the biggest battle for uh, those of us who are in that place of singleness, it's often, at least when I'm talking with people, it's loneliness. That is the hardest thing. It is a battle. It is really, really tough. And yet, oftentimes, I think it's because of the culture has said, here's what non-loneliness equals. Non-loneliness is romantic love. Non-loneliness is sexual intimacy. Non-loneliness is this other life of, you know, uh, you're, you're on the beach and, and uh, you know, if you're the guy, you know, you, you, you look over and the waves are in and the wind is blowing and she turns to you and the light's on her face and, Whoa, you know, that's it. And anything short of that is loneliness. That's the only category. Or, or, or flip side, you know, the, the, she's, she's waiting for the guy to come in uh, on the white stallion, stallion and, you know, sweep her off, his, off her feet and, t- and, 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 again, that's not a bad desire. But the culture is painting for us this one-dimensional picture of what non-loneliness looks like. The Bible is rich with descriptions of intimacy, closeness, relationships that are not pared down into that one small sliver of life. The Bible talks about this thing called friendship. It's a beautiful thing amongst brothers and sisters. The Bible talks about the, the family of God and the togetherness of that. And yes, it has to be pursued deliberately. But you know, if, if someone, and I heard Sam Alberry describe this, who by the way, I recommend basically anything he writes on this topic. Um, and if you hear his voice in this message, I'm sure it's because I've read something of his somewhere and it's coming out. Um, he's, he's fantastic. Um, but, but you know, he's talked about how if someone needs him to drop something, grab a bag, jump in the car, and go to be there, he can do that. And he does. Um, he says, as a single person, I can be available in a way that would be a lot harder if I were married. And, uh, and, he, and he, he's like, we as single people, he says, we get to serve people in that kind of way. And that's important. That's important. And uh, now he also says it's important not to use our singleness in sort of a, a way to just selfishly do what we want to do all the time. And, and that's another topic in some ways. He, 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 he describes that further. But he's saying if you can use your availability and your flexibility for the Lord and for the benefit of your brothers and sisters, it's a powerful way demonstrate the gospel in a beautiful way to live. And, and he talks about how satisfying that is, how he gets to enjoy friendships and, and other things that the Bible would describe as being areas of, of, of relationship and one anothering that, uh, that he prizes deeply. But again, that's cultivated. That's on purpose. It doesn't just happen to him. He makes decisions and takes steps to connect with people, to be together with others, So singleness can be received as a gift, not only because it brings less trouble and allows more focus, but thirdly, he goes on to say, it can be better than marriage. It can be better than marriage. And he says that in verses 36 to 38. Now, this section in 36 to 38, there are some translation challenges with this particular section, and some have taken it uh, to refer to a husband, or I'm sorry, a father, and a virgin daughter and what he would want to do with her, whether she should be married or not. Uh, but I think the, the way the verse unfolds and the terms that are used here better indicate that this is actually referring to a person who is in a betrothal. In other words, they are in, in that culture at that time. If you were betrothed, you were about to be married. That person is in that place of betrothed, and he or she is going, should I actually be married or not? Again, back to the original question that was even asked Uh, in verse 25. So they're wrestling with that as someone who is, I'm in a betrothed relationship, I'm supposed to be married to this person, be it the betrothed wife to be or the betrothed husband to be, either side of that. And so I think, um, I actually think that the NIV does a really good job with this section as it reads, if anyone's worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong he feels he ought to marry, then he should do what he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, is, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then the one who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Isn't that interesting? So this is a person in the midst of that, wrestling that through. And, and look at verse 38. The one who marries does right. It's good. You can do that. And yet, if your calling is such and your gifting is such that you can walk through life as a single person, notice he has control over his own will and he's made up his mind not to marry. This is not something that he feels called to do. He's done better. And so I, th- I, think, uh, I think that's an important thing to notice because I, I wonder if that's how we see that in our contemporary culture, I think so often our singles are referred to sort of in this way of it's sort of like, oh yeah, well you're not quite there yet, but someday you'll be married, as if that's the goal for everybody. And that's not biblical, and that shouldn't be the goal for everybody. Um, one single gave the account of you know seeing someone who, who hadn't seen it in about you know 20 years or so, and he's talking to her. And he asks, hey, so how are your kids? They must be in their 20s or now, twenties so by now. And her response is like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first one's gotten married. The second one's engaged. So they're both sorted. And the thought is like, they're sorted. So I'm single. what is that? Am I unsorted? You know, am I like not complete? Like something has to happen to me? Like I'm, I'm sort of like an unprocessed person that needs some, some ends to be tidied up here and there. And and that's the implication, but that's not the case. And I think that, uh, again, here, Paul is very, very clear. Notice, married or single, they're not superior or inferior. If anything, if the person's called to singleness, it's better. It will be better for them to remain that way. And, And we need to see that. And that leads us to our final point, which would be not only can singles be received as a gift because it brings less trouble, it allows more focus, and can be better than marriage. But lastly, it can bring more happiness than marriage. Again, dependent on that calling factor, what God's called us to. We find that in 39 and 40. He says, a wife is bound to her husband as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And again, there's that there's that uh, qualifier. A believer is going to marry another believer. Uh, that, that is what God's call. That's God's design. To be unequally yoked, Paul will go on to say in 2 Corinthians, uh, is gonna be to, to, to set yourself up for disaster. And we've referred to that previously. But, but here, he goes on to say in verse 40, but in my opinion, she's happier, there it is, if she remains as she is, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. What he's saying here is that she doesn't have to get married. If anything, remaining single, she can be happier. The word for happy is the really literally the word blessed. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 5. Blessed are. He goes through all the Beatitudes. So the idea is how rich and full is the life of the one who... Fill in the blank. So, Paul's saying, as a single person, there can be a richness and a fullness of life that one is called to. It's not living a lesser kind of existence. And in some ways, I think it's very, very important to understand this in light of one simple reality. And that is this. Let's remember Jesus was single. He, he lived the most complete life, the fullest life that, that anyone's ever lived. He was never married. He was never in a romantic relationship. He never experienced physical intimacy within the bonds of marriage. He, he didn't do any of those things. And so the, the moment that we imply or think that any of those things is essential to being a complete human being, what we're really saying is that in some ways, then Jesus was an incomplete human being. And that's impossible. It just shows that we're buying into our culture's or our world's view of what completeness means. I mean, if anything, um, to say Jesus was incomplete in his humanity is thoroughly refuted in the book of 1 John. That was one of the things that the the false teachers there were teaching. He he wasn't totally human. He was kind of human, but not fully human. And you know what John says in the book of 1 John about that kind of thinking? He says that kind of thinking is the thinking of the Antichrist. So we dare not think that. We need to understand that, no, instead, the life of singleness, as designed by God, as established by God, and as God calls people into that, is one of fullness and is one of a depth of understanding who God is and a depth of understanding and enjoying the life that God's given. And in many ways, there's more capacity for fullness more capacity for happiness than uh, those who find themselves in marriage, depending upon God's design and calling of that person. So, singles, I, I, I want to just say how much we are grateful that we have people in our church family in that place called by God. Um... And for all of us, let's remember that we don't want to fall into the culture as one-dimensional picture of what life, fulfillment, and happiness, and everything looks like. We need to stop falling for the lie that marriage is in some way superior to singleness or the reverse, that singleness is superior to marriage. No, instead, it's, it's the fulfilling of God's calling on our lives. Neither of those things can complete a person. Because Christ alone completes all of us. Uh, Will you battle loneliness, single person? Yes. But you know what? Married people battle loneliness too. All of us at times wrestle with this kind of relentless sense of, man, I'm in this by myself. and, And we need God's provision of himself most of all, and then embracing our calling in him, and then walking with him through that. All of us are called to enjoy God's provision of fellowship within the church family, whether married or single, and all of us need to cultivate that together. It's important that you hold on to the truth that as a child of God, whether married or single, we are all chosen by him, adopted by him. We've been redeemed by Christ. We've received an inheritance. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit we're in him, and it's our union with him that makes us complete, not our marital status, married or single. And God's the one that shows us how to live out the gospel as a child of God, fully complete in him. But singles, with that, with that amount of less trouble that can be in your life, because of the amount of focus that you can have, In many ways, you can lead the way for us. You can show us more and more what it's like to live that life of singular focus for God. We can learn that from you as you step forward and demonstrate that. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, okay, you've talked about the gift of singleness, Chris, I don't have that gift. If that's the case, two things. One, I'm glad you know that. And prayerfully, within the guidelines given here, we would pray that God would provide for you a spouse in His timing. But whether you have the gift of singleness or not, the truth is, in this moment, at this time, God has made you single. And you can receive His providence and his wisdom for this time as a gift because he has a good purpose for you in it. And that's hard. But as we've mentioned, it's also hard for many of the married among us because they don't feel like their marriage is a gift right now either. All of us need to look to him. But let's remember, as given by God, whether as a gift or as a circumstance at this time by his providence. We can receive it from him as a gift because singleness brings less trouble. Singleness allows more focus. And as we saw today, it can be better and even bring more happiness than marriage in his hands by his purposes for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand these things in a way that glorifies you. Lord, we want to thank you for giving us a body to be in, in Jesus that's diverse. We thank you that you've called some to singleness. You've called some to marriage. We thank you that we see here from this passage not either, neither one is superior or inferior to the other, Both are to be received from you and both are to be lived out, united with you. Understanding that regardless of our marital status, chosen by you, we've been adopted by you. We've been redeemed by you. You've given us an inheritance in you. We've been recipients of your Holy Spirit and we have a path in front of us laid by you. Help us to serve you in it and glorify you in it and to encourage one another through every season. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.